You guys ready? A few of you? All right, hold on tight. I want you to do something that may be kind of fun for you or maybe kind of scary. I want you to think back to high school. I know some of you are like, yeah, that's not too far. And some of you are like, that's like a lot of work because you were like in Jesus's yearbook, you know, so you really got to think back a long time ago. But you think back to high school, and there's something that, that happens in every high school, and I think it, it, ge- the, the generation doesn't really matter, okay? Think about this. Think about how in high school, everybody segregated themselves into little groups, right? I mean, you had the jocks, you had the preps, you had the, the, the smart people, you had the other groups, and you can think about the different names and the things they were called. Some of you are like, you didn't mention my name. I know, I know. You had these different groups. And I remember when I was in high school, I was a wrestler. I know, that's one of the benefits of wrestling is the little guys can wrestle too. And so I was a wrestler in my freshman year. I got a wrestle varsity and I lettered. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And I remember going home and telling my mom, 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 I need a letterman's jacket, right? I need, I mean, parents, you're like, you don't need a letterman's jacket. But mom, mom, I need a letterman's jacket. Well, Kevin, why do you need a letterman's jacket? Because mom, it makes me unique. It makes me an individual. Because I want to be an individual just like all the other kids that have letterman's jackets too, right? And, and really, I wanted the letterman's jacket because it helped me fit into a niche of people. And I wanted to be my individual just like everybody else, right? I mean, isn't that what happens? And you know, when you get out of high school, the same thing still happens. This is a little different. It's not as much pressure. But in, 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 in high school, everybody was with their little groups and cliques, and that's who they hung out with. And you get out of high school and into adult life, and we kind of end up doing the same thing. We want to hang out with people who do the same things we do. We want to hang out with people who look like us, who listen to the same kind of music, who go to the same kind of restaurants, who watch the same kind of TV shows, who watch the same kind of movies. And, and we, we look and we want, to, we want to be with people who are comfortable and who it's easy because we all do the same things. And what happens is it even becomes the same within the church. We step into a church and we begin looking for a church that we want to worship with people that are just like me. We want to worship people that, that, that we want to worship with people. You don't want to worship people. You want to worship with people who worship God the same way. You want to have the same style of music. You want to have people who, who are the same kind of responsiveness. Sometimes this is a little too much for some people. And if putting your hands up during worship is too much, you don't want to go to a church that has, you want to be with people who worship just like you do. In fact, this is why there are theologians and and different people who say that the Sunday morning worship hour is the most segregated hour in the country because we segregate ourselves into people who look like us, who worship like us, and who respond just like us. The apostle Paul in the New Testament, he deconstructs this idea throughout his ministry. If you have a Bible, we're in Romans chapter 12 today. Uh, Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back. If you just slip your hand up, we'd love to be able to come and bring one of these up to you. The Apostle Paul, um, 
He, can, he, he deconstructed this idea that we should huddle into safe little culture groups in the church. He deconstructed the idea that we should worship in a homogenous way where everybody is safe and comfortable. He taught what it really means to be united to Christ. As well as taught what it means to be united to Christ's body, which is the church. Regardless of whether or not it's comfortable. Regardless of whether or not it feels safe. Now, just to make sure we're on the same page. When we talk about the church, what are we talking about? Is the church an institution? Someone give me something. Is the church an institution? No. Is the church a building? No. The church is the people. The people are the church. And Paul's going to make the case that if you are united to Christ, that you are united to his church. You are united to his people. So I want to make my intentions clear this morning. My intention this morning is to promote, to promote the idea of being committed to a life group. Of being engaged into a small group of believers within the church, within, within other Christians, that we can encourage each other, we can support each other, we can live life together, we can do ministry together. Sundays are not enough. A changed life, a changed life, it begins on the weekend, but it's only through community with people becomes that process where lasting change really occurs, is in community. This is why this has been the emphasis that we've had here at Restoration Church for the past two weeks. I mean, last week, if you missed it, we encourage you, you can listen online, you can, you can listen to the sermon on, on iTunes. But if you remember last week, we were in 1 Samuel, uh, and we learned that King David, and if King David needed Christian fellowship, what does that speak for every one of us? We learned that every one of us, regardless of whether or not we're a new Christian, regardless if you're one of these decorated Christians who's been following Christ for, for, for many years, every one of us needs Christian fellowships. We need Christian relationships. And that these Christian relationships, they strengthen each other. They, they hold us accountable. They help us to remain faithful. They help us to endure to the end. And if you remember from, from 1 Samuel... The way that we do this is to remind each other of the promises of God. To remind each other of who God is. Today, we're going to look at a different aspect of being committed to each other. Christian fellowship, the meeting, and, uh, the meeting together and the growing together. Not only does the Christian fellowship help us to endure, but we're going to see that we, in fact, we need one another. We need one another. We need you. This body right here, we need you. And you might not understand this yet, but you will soon come if you stay committed. You realize that you need us as well. So my aim today is to look into the mind of Paul. Look into the mind of Jesus in regard to the kind of emphasis that they put on being committed to the local church body. So if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read verses uh, 3 through 8. You can follow along in your Bible. It's also up on the screen. It says this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If serving, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, and his ex- exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. And that is God's word for us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, as we've come here today, God, not to hear a pastor's opinion, but hear your word. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what it is you're trying to to teach us here through Romans chapter 12. God, I pray that as we we look and we say, God, what is it you're wanting to speak to me? God, I pray that you would help me to step out of the way, God, that your word would be clear today, that you would be the one who is speaking and drawing us to yourself. God, I pray that you put the distractions out of our mind just to let us focus and lean in to what it is that you're saying today. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Now, before we can grasp what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12, we've got to have a better understanding of the book of Romans itself so we understand the context of where we are. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter of Romans to the church at Rome. And what he has done so far in this, cha- in this book is he has clearly laid out, he's clearly laid out that the Romans and every one of us, that they are ungodly, that we are unrighteous, that we are under the wrath of a holy and just God. And what Paul does is he completely destroys the idea of religion. Religion says, what can I do to make myself look better to God? And Paul destroys the idea of religion by saying that nothing within ourselves can give us any hope. There's nothing within us that gives us any hope to stand before God. We are sinners. We are rebellious. Our hearts are in continuous rebellion against God. That is our nature. Every one of us who have been born onto the earth, we were born into the sinful nature that we on our own have nothing to offer God. And after Paul lays this foundation out, Paul points every one of us to the only hope that any one of us would ever have. And that the righteousness that God demands, the righteousness that God demands that every one of us, that we can't ever achieve, he has himself has offered to give it to us. He's offered it through Jesus, through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Not because we've earned it with good works, but because we receive what Jesus did for us by faith. So this is what the book of Romans is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. It's about, uh, it's about salvation of sinners by the free grace of God. About God exchanging a righteousness that we could never earn. About God exchanging Jesus' righteousness for our sinfulness and for our brokenness. And then when we, when we receive by faith Jesus' righteousness, God not only, not only receives us into his presence, but then God begins to fight on our behalf. 
He saves us from the enemy. He gives us meaning in life. He gives us purpose to life. He gives us freedom from the bondage of sin. He gives us every imaginable blessing. This is what the book of Romans is about. This is the context that Paul is writing about. So one necessary foundation, one necessary thing we have to understand about Paul emphasizing being committed to the local body is we've got to look first at Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Turn back a few pages. Paul says that when we believe in him, we put our, our, when we put our faith in him, that we are united to Christ. He says, Romans 8.1 says this, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's saying God's righteousness comes. It comes to us and, and it takes our condemnation. It takes our guilt of sin. It takes it away. It takes that condemnation away. And the words that he says are in Christ Jesus. That means that there is a spiritual union that we have with Jesus. That when we place our faith in the saving work of Jesus, that we become united to him. This idea of being united to Jesus or being in Jesus is found all throughout the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 16. It's a common expression that is repeated and repeated. The expression of being in Christ Jesus or united to Christ, it denotes a a close and intimate relationship. It means that when we are united to him, he's the one who we get our support from. We are united to him in purpose. That in our walk, in our talk, in our, in, our, in, our, in our way we live, the way that we conduct our lives, it is based on that relationship with Jesus. That is what it means for us to be united to him. But there's a danger. There's a danger when we just understand this. Because we can look and we, we say, well, God's purposes are very individualistic. I mean, each person is a sinner. Each person is guilty and under condemnation before God. And each person must believe and, and by faith receive Jesus. And each would be saved if they believe. See, the gospel addresses is to individual sinners. Nobody can believe for you. But if you look at our text in Romans chapter 12, there's a link to being united to Christ and what Paul wrote in, in, in Romans chapter 12. Paul wrote in verses 4 and 5, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. You see, our faith unites us to Christ. But our faith also unites us to Christ's body, which is the church. Paul elsewhere also makes this comparison between the church and a body. The church represents the body. Christ is the head of the body, and and the church becomes the the hands and the feet and and all the other organs of the body. But Christ is the head. Now, I I want you to consider this carefully. This is something that maybe you've never thought about. You've never thought about how completely crucial the local church is to your life in Christ. Because if you look at what Paul Paul says in verse 5, he says, so we though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. So what does that mean? Members, what what does that mean? 
It sounds like, it sounds like we belong to the body of Christ. It sounds like we belong to each other. Paul is saying that there, that, that a connection with Christ means if we have a connection with Christ, it means that we have a connection with each other as well. It means that belonging to Christ, being in Christ, which we want, we want those benefits, we want salvation, but being in Christ also means that we are in the body, that we belong to Christ as well as we belong to the body. It says, though we are many, and yet the many are supposed to become together to be part of the one, to be a part of the entire body of Christ. We get a look and say, man, those are deep words. What are the implications of us being uh, called to being united to the body? I've got this scar right here. I don't know if you can see. It's about a four-inch scar. Pretty wide. When Samantha and I first got married, I worked at Ace Hardware. I drove a forklift at their distribution center. It was a fun job. I enjoyed it. Did it for a year and a half or so. And my job was to drive this forklift all over the warehouse. And, and they'd say, you need to go here and find this product. And I'd find the product and I'd pull it down. And I'd get whatever I needed off the product. And I'd put it back up. And then I'd take the, that product to the truck. And the truck would take it off to wherever. And there's one morning, it was like five in the morning, I worked the night shift. One morning, I'm, I'm doing my work and I'm trying to work really hard. And I slipped with my box knife and I cut my arm. It was a pretty good gash. And, you know, I'm probably like, oh, crap. I'm, darn it, you know, I, I, I don't have time to go and, and get it checked out. I, I've got work to do, you know. Then I'm going to go home and go to sleep. It's like the end of my shift. And I'm tired as all get out. So I did what any other guy would do. I took... A uh, paper towel and I wrapped it around my arm and I grabbed some tape and I taped it all nice and tight and I went back to work. The paper towel started to ooze with blood and just, eh, you know. And, and, and pretty soon it was this weirdest feeling. I, I kept working and pretty soon my, my head started feeling really dizzy and my legs started feeling really weak and my arm felt really weak and, and, and I thought, man, something isn't right. You see, if one arm of our body is hurt badly, if one arm is bleeding badly, then every limb of the body will grow weaker. Not just that arm. That, 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 that injury to this arm caused my entire body to feel it and to become weak. And on the flip side, if one arm is working to feed the mouth, then every limb becomes strengthened because that one hand is working to make sure the body is taken care of. See, are you getting a picture for what the body of Christ is? This is a picture of the body of Christ. This is how we are supposed to live together. This is how it's supposed to work. That we, though we are many, we, we come together. And when we are united to Christ, we're united to a relationship with him. We also then are united to each other. United to the body of Christ. Christ is the head. He's always the one on top in his charge. But as we are united to him, though we are also united to each other. And we belong to each other. Hypothetical situation. I've got two hands. I've got two arms. I've got two legs. I've got two feet. Hypothetically, what if this hand said, you know, 
I just don't like the rest of that body. You know, Kevin, you're just, your, your body's just a little too pale. You know, it's just a little too short. You know, I just, I don't like that body. I'm going to go find something else. And so if this hand said, I don't like you anymore. I don't want a relationship with the rest of the body anymore. I just want to be on my own. If this hand were to make that decision, what would happen? Would it be connected to the head anymore? If this hand cut itself off from the rest of the body, is this hand connected to the head anymore? I, I, I see one person say no. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. No. I mean, if you sever this hand, it's no longer connected to the body. It's no longer connected to the head. See, choosing not to be united to the body is essentially saying, Jesus, I choose not to be united to you. By, by choosing not to be united to the body, you're choosing not to be united to the head. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying belonging to Christ means that we belong to the body, that we belong to each other. We can't have it both ways. We cannot have it both ways. Paul says we are individually, when we place our faith in Jesus, that we become members of one another. This is God's word. This is a reality. We don't choose whether or not we want to believe this verse or not. We don't choose whether we want to make this a reality or not. God's word says it very clearly. Being united to Christ means that we are united to the body. We don't have a choice on whether or not we want to believe it. This is what God's word says. Paul is saying the reality of the local church, the local church body, it is absolutely crucial to our life of faith. Now, I'm not sure how your mind works, but when I hear this, my mind starts thinking through objections. I mean, I have all these reasons why this is foolish. I have all these reasons why this doesn't work. I mean, I mean, I look at some of you guys. I know some of your story. Some of you know some of mine. But you know, you don't know me. You don't know my background. You don't know what I've been through. Why should I have to feel like I have to belong to all of you when you don't know me? You don't know my experiences. How, how, why should I have to open and expose myself to you guys when you don't know my background? You don't know all the hard things I've been through. That just seems not very fair. Why should I commit to that? Why should I commit to belonging to people who, in all honesty, some of you have very little in common with me? Why should I belong to you? But look at what Paul says next in verse 6. Verses 6 through 8, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortion. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Paul says that we all have different gifts. That we've been given all these different gifts and, and, and it says, given gifts according to the grace that is given to us. Whose grace has given us the different gifts that we have? God's grace. God's grace has given each of, each of us very unique and different gifts. And he says these gifts are to be used in context of being united to each other. He's saying that we should use our gifts for the benefit of each other. 
what, does, what Paul does is he lists different types of gifts. He says gifts of, uh, of prophecy and of serving and of teaching and exhortation and, and giving and leading and acts of mercy. When you read these, would you agree that there's a diversity in the gifts that Paul describes here? There's a great diversity in the gifts. We can see that there is a value to the diversity of the gifts that God has given to the body of Christ. You know, my wife and I, we're, we're gifted very differently. Very differently. I'm, I'm a big picture guy. I'm a big picture guy. I hate looking at details. What I say is when I have to start paying attention to details, my hairline just recedes further and further. Some of you really like details. I can tell that. But, you know, I'm just not into the details. I'm a big picture guy. I love focusing on relationships. I love being spontaneous. I'm one of those spontaneous kind of people. I mean, I I get the idea of having to keep a schedule, but honestly, I'd much rather blow off my schedule and go hang out with somebody in a coffee shop and talk about life and spiritual things. I mean, that's just the way that I would want to choose to spend my time. My wife, on the other hand, she is very detail-oriented. She excels at planning and logistics and systems and making things efficient. I mean, her, her grocery list is color-coded. I mean, you should see it. It's, it's amazing. You should see her sock drawer. Man, I dream someday. But imagine this. Imagine if Restoration Church was full of, was full of people just like me. <laughs> Some of you are laughing. I don't know why. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure if I should laugh or cry or celebrate. I mean, if it was full of people just like me, worship slides, you know, I'm not sure we would have worship slides. And if we did, they'd be done last minute so everything would be misspelt. Yeah? Yeah? If, if the church was full of people just like me, we would have all these brilliant last minute ideas, like these brilliant ideas that would change the world, but they would never really happen because it's just a big idea and we don't have the people to think about it to actually make it happen i mean if 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 the church was people like me we'd have a potluck every sunday right and and our our graphics would be like stick figures with with like comic sans font i think comic sans i i I don't think you're allowed to use those in like public venues anymore a couple of you are saying yeah you can't use those you know if 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 the church was full of people like me, then every Sunday that the Seahawks had a 10 o'clock game, we'd cancel service, right? <laughs> Some of you were like, yeah, baby, this is the church I want to go to. Some of you are like, I got to run as fast as I can out of this place. See, this is why I am so thankful that God has given the church a diversity of gifts. See, we all have strengths. We all have ways that God has wired us. And together, together, we use our gifts to to serve the body and to serve the church and to serve the cause of Christ. And, And we realize that not one of these gifts is of greater importance than any other gift. Every one of them is necessary and vital to the health of the body. So Paul says that by faith, by faith, we are united to Christ and that we're united to the church. And by God's grace, he has given us a diversity of gifts that are all completely necessary to the mission of the church. Every gift is important and every gift is necessary. 
Now, I know Paul here is specifically talking about gifts. But I don't think that we'd be pushing it too far to suggest that God's grace and giving us unique and different gifts can also be attributed to God's grace and giving us different backgrounds and giving us different experiences. Can I just suggest that by God's grace, he has given every one of us a different story, a different background that is just as necessary to the body of Christ and that is just as necessary to the mission of of moving forward for the church. You might not have the same story as me, and I certainly don't have the same story as, as Nate. But if we all had the same story, we wouldn't be really effective in reaching the city, would we? We'd be rather limited with what we could actually accomplish. And, and when we come together and we value the diversity of our backgrounds, the diversity of, of, of economics, the diversity of, of ethnicity, we all bring a rich story, a rich background that benefits the body and that makes the body more complete. When I worked at Madison House, I was the director. I'm supposed to be the guy. I'm supposed to be the guy in charge. You know, I, I, I'm the mentor. I'm, I'm, I'm the example. But I find when I served at Madison House, I find I learned just as much from these kids as I taught them. You see, these kids come from broken backgrounds, these different things. And I remember there was one day I just became so convicted. Now, I had $5 left in my wallet. My wife and I, we had a little budget thing where I had a little bit of money each, each paycheck. That was my, like, spend money on whatever I want, you know. And I had $5 left, and there was, like, a week and a half left in the paycheck. So I'm like, man, I'm going to hold on to my $5, you know. And I'm thinking, man, I could buy a cup of coffee with that. I could. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking I got 5 bucks left. I'm holding on to it tightly. One of these kids had five bucks. You know what he did? He walked in and said, hey, what do you want? What do you want? I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to the, let's all go. And I'll buy something for every one of you. I thought, wow. Man, I have so much that I could learn from them. There's another story of a, of a family who, difficult situation, dad got taken away. And, and so the, the older brother is in charge of the entire family. And uh, they got to the point where, Rent money was gone, and they were getting ready to be kicked out of their apartment. And so here's this 18, 19-year-old kid, and he's trying to take care of his younger siblings. And uh, so this is happening, and, and my mind begins to think, oh, man, i got to figure out where's transitional housing. How do, I, how do I raise some money to get them into an apartment? You know, what am I going to do? And there's another group of kids in this Madison house, another family that said, you know, we don't have room in our house. Our, our house, we have too many people in it, but come move in with us. And I became so convicted again about, man, I have so much yet to learn. See, this is why the, the diversity in the church is so important. This is why diversity is one of the values that Restoration Church has. We want people with different stories. We want people from different economical backgrounds. We want people from different ethnicities because you all bring a rich something that, that we need. And you might say, well, well, well you know, uh, you might say, well, well why, 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 what should I get from this? What do you get from me? See, the diversity makes the body of Christ complete. The diversity makes the body of Christ complete. This is why everybody with a different background, praise God. Praise Jesus. We need you here. We need you to be a part of this because that makes the body complete. 
complete. One more thing this morning. Let me ask you a question. Why is this? Why did God set up the church this way? Why did God set up the body? Why not just create a multitude of individuals who are all justified by faith and they relate to Christ directly and they're only dependent on Christ and the Holy Spirit? Why did God design it that we have to be united to Christ as well as to the body? Why do we have to be members of one another? Turn your Bible a few pages. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may become one voice and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Notice two times. Two times Paul exclaims that the aim of Christian unity and mutual acceptance is the glory of God. God has ordained the church to be a unified body of diverse individuals, not just a collection of isolated individuals. He says in verse 6 of chapter 15, he says that together you may be with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God gets more glory by a body of believers, a group of people coming together and functioning, functioning in the unity of truth and, and love. God gets more glory through that than if God would have just had a host of supposedly holy individuals who didn't relate to each other or minister to, to each other or worship together or do missions together or serve the church together. God gets more glory by us coming together and be united as one. Then he says it again in verse 7. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See, Christ, he welcomed us in. He welcomed us in our sin and in our misery. And he loved us and he saved us. Why? To glorify God the Father. So Paul says, let that be our motive here. Let that be our motive as well. This is why God has designed salvation the way he did. That this is why God designed being united to Christ also means being united to a body of believers because this way God will get more glory than if he had saved us any other way. And God does everything to magnify his own glory. This is why the church exists. This is why we have small groups. And so we can learn how to be connected together, how to be members one of another. Do you know what my sinful heart begins to do? My sinful heart begins to turn the church from being about the glory of God to being about me. And instead of the church being about the glory of God, I begin to make the church all about me. I get frustrated because the church didn't do what I wanted it to do. I get frustrated because the church doesn't have what I feel it should do. I get frustrated because it's not about me. Do you know what we need to be reminded of? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about every, any one of us. It's all about God and about God being glorified. 
Do you know why this is so important? Do you know why it's so important that we be committed to the body of Christ, to the church? Do you know why it's so important that we surrender ourselves to the unity of living life together? Why it's so important that we commit to living life together, to be united with Christ and to be united with each other? Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, he was praying on behalf of the apostles and the disciples. And he also prayed on behalf of those who would believe in Jesus because of the apostles' testimony. That's us. He's praying on behalf of us. And he prays in John 17. He says, Father, I do not ask for these only, but those, for all those who will believe in me through their word. He prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me. Love them even as you have loved me. Three times. Three times in these verses, Jesus prays for our unity. Verse 21, he prayed that we would be one. Verse 22, he prayed that we would be one just as the Father and as Jesus are one. And in verse 23, he prayed that we would be perfectly one. Why did Jesus pray for that for us? Why was he praying for us that we would have unity? See those so that statements? There's a so that statement in verse 21, and there's a so that that statement in verse 23. Those are called hina clauses. It's it's an if-then statement. If, if, If X happens, then Y is a guaranteed result. X isn't guaranteed to happen. But if X happens, then Y for sure will happen. And Jesus is praying this. He's saying, if we would be one... If, if, if we would be perfected in unity, if, if we would be unified together, then the world would know who Jesus is. If we would be one, then the world would know who Jesus is. The world would know that he is the answer. If what? If we would be what? One. If we would be unified. Do you understand the implications for the gospel? If we would be unified together, The gospel gets taken to the ends of the earth. If we'd be unified together, the city begins to change. If we would be unified together, the world would know who Jesus is and the love that he has for them. It's all about the gospel. So what's my desire for us this morning? I want us to see a few things. I want us to see that that Paul is clear. That if we're going to be united to Christ, that means that we're also united to each other. That if we belong to Christ, if we're in Christ, we're receiving the benefits that we want from Christ about forgiveness of our sin, eternity in heaven. If we want those blessings, that also means that we are to be united to each other. Sure, there's a diversity. Sure, we all have a different story. Your story, value, your story is valuable. We need your story. We need your background. Why? So that Christ, so that God would be glorified. So the gospel would 
extend. So that way, the city of Yakima would look and we say, we're looking for the answer. But you know, that church, something's different about them. What causes a church with people from different economical backgrounds, from different ethnicities, what causes them to come together and be unified? There's something different about that church. Right? It's called the gospel. It's called Jesus. Restoration Church, we've intentionally designed our services like this. We intentionally designed our services where after the message, we want to have a couple of songs of just response to, to God's word. We want to be able not just to come and to hear God's word and feel good about ourselves, but to say, God, I need to spend some time with you. So I encourage you over the next few minutes, spend some time just between you and the Lord. Spend some time, repent. Repent of the areas this past week that you blew it. Spend some time praising God for the times that God showed himself to you this past week. Spend some time crying out for God's help. Saying, God, I need you right now. God, I need you in this part of my life. God, I need to feel your presence right now. If you would like the opportunity during this time to pray with somebody, I'll be up in the front, uh, front, front row. During these next couple songs, be bold. Come forward and say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you, would you hear my story? Would you pray for me? Additionally, we want to have the opportunity to respond through worship. Maybe you just need to praise God for who he is. Maybe you just need to say, God, because of you, because of what you have done, I can be united to you and united to the body. And finally, when we leave here today, there's sign-up sheets for small groups for life groups on the resource table. I'd encourage every one of you to find a group to belong. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather today to hear your word. God, we're thankful that you speak to us individually, that you desire every one of us to come into a relationship with you. And God, as we look at the church and say, God, what, have we, what is the purpose of us coming here? God, the purpose of us coming here is to glorify you. And that as we come and as we commit to your people, as we commit to living life, to, to getting into these, these, these sometimes difficult relationships, sometimes they're messy. We have to experience grace with each other. We have to extend grace to one another. But God, the reason that we do this is for your glory is for your gospel to continue to be spread. God, I pray for every one of us in here today. I pray that you would help us to understand the way that you've designed this. That we can't just be a lone Christian out there on our own. That we need one another. We need each other. God, I pray for everyone in here that they would realize the value that they bring to the body of Christ. They may be a new believer. They may have uh, the roughest background. They may have the best background. But God, we need that diversity right here. God, I pray that you would do a work in our heart. God, I pray that you would unite us together. I pray that you would knit us closely together. That we would really feel like we belong to one another. God, I pray for those who are hurting. I pray for those who are, are, are feeling the weight of life right now. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them 
Remind them, you are not alone. You have a God who loves you, who is there with you. And you have a body of Christ who loves you. God, I pray that you would help us in this response time to worship you, to cry out to you, to praise you. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.